everyone. Uh, it's good to be talking with you all again. Uh, for those of you who saw last week's message and, you know, you sent me emails and texts during the week, I just want to let you know right now how much I appreciate that. Uh, your encouraging words are like gold to me. Uh, it's amazing to find out that I was able to get my point across and that you all were blessed uh, by what I shared with you. And if you haven't listened to uh, last week's message, uh, I'm going to offer just a quick little recap. Last week, we were looking at the passage uh, from Romans 8, verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 8, verse 28. And, and we talked about God and how God works all things together for our good. The aim of the message was to uh, reassure us that, you know, even though things are crazy in this world, that things are an absolute mess, that our God is firmly in control, and, and that by placing our faith in that knowledge, we're able to move forward. Uh, we don't need to be paralyzed by fear or by uncertainty. Last week was primarily about finding comfort and, and peace for ourselves. And, and this week, we're going to expand on that topic, but we're also going to talk about how we're able to bring that peace and comfort to others. Now, our scripture today is going to be found in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Once again, I'm using a verse from a book that was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul uh, is probably my second favorite guy in the Bible. Uh, you know, last week I mentioned that Paul had written about a quarter of what we refer to as the New Testament, and that is still true uh, this week. So who are the Corinthians, and why was Paul writing to them? Now, hopefully I'm, I'm talking to the right people here, that I can't help it, but when I hear the word Corinthians, I picture Ricardo Montalban in his Corinthian leather. Am I talking to the right folks here? Uh, if you're too young to remember that, ask an old man or an old lady, and they'll tell you. Anyway, the Corinthians are people who live in the town of Corinth. Now, I say are because there is still a town called Corinth in Greece, and there are people living there. It's not in the same spot as biblical Corinth was. It is about three and a half miles north of uh, where biblical Corinth stood. That area has had people living there for about 5,000 years. Uh, when Abraham was called uh, by God to leave his homeland, and venture forth to start the new nation, there were, there were people living in that area where Corinth is today. The city of Corinth is located on the Isthmus of Corinth, which is this little strip of land that connects the Peloponnesian Peninsula to mainland Greece. And it, it was located roughly between uh, Athens to the northwest and Sparta down to the south here. Uh, the Romans destroyed the city of Corinth in, in 146 BC, and it remained kind of a ghost town, you know, very sparse, uh, very sparsely inhabited until about 44 BC when uh, Julius Caesar undertook a kind of a civic project and, and rebuilt the city. So that being said, when Paul makes his first visit to Corinth in 50 AD, the city was less than 100 years old, but it was already five times bigger than Athens, 
which was the provincial capital. You know, there was a seaport on each side of, of Corinth, uh, and it was a major trade crossroads, a major trade uh, nexus that brought people from all around of, of different tongues, tribes, and nations, all different religions, all different ethnic backgrounds, uh, people who were looking to improve their lot in life, if you will, to kind of get rich. And it was very similar to what happened to San Francisco in the gold rush years. Uh, between 1849 and 1850, the population of San Francisco grew from approximately 1,000 people to over 25,000 people. Paul grew up in a big city. I mean, he, he was used to the, the hustle and bustle and the cosmopolitan nature of a big city. And I believe he felt right at home there. He wasn't intimidated. And within a very short time, Paul, with, with the help of a few key people, they plant a church. They plant a church right there in Corinth. Now, the church at Corinth, it had growing pains, had a lot of growing pains early on, uh, as many churches do. Part of it was due to the, uh, the mixed nature of, of the congregation. You had noblemen and slaves. You had Jewish believers. You had Gentile believers. You also had a significant number of women who were very involved in, in the church there at Corinth. They were a very diverse group, and they occasionally struggled trying to keep everybody happy. You know, they had their problems and they had their issues. And every once in a while, Paul would hear about something going on at the church in Corinth. And he would have to write them a letter. Uh, now, we only have two of his letters that are contained in the New Testament. We call them 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Scholars believe, though, uh, based on the evidence found in these two letters, that Paul actually wrote four letters. Now, this might be a little confusing, but stay with me on this. <laughs> what we call 1 Corinthians was actually the second letter that Paul wrote, and what we call 2 Corinthians was actually his fourth letter. Now, our scripture today is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Uh, listen to what Paul has to say here. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, because I'm a preacher, I've put together a list, and I have uh, six points on the list that I would like to talk with you about this morning. Point number one is that Paul preaches Christ. Paul could just as easily have said God of all comfort, but he makes it a point to say God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul makes it a point to always preach Christ. And so should we. See, there are a lot of people in this world who claim to believe in God. But if we dig a little bit deeper we will often find that their definition of God can get a little bit fuzzy. For example, there are a lot of New Age, Great Spirit, Mother Earth, Universal Force theologies that, that people will latch onto. 
And, and it's a shame because even though those kind of beliefs are, uh, they're comforting and they're a temporary source of peace and, and they give you, a, you know, they might give somebody a good feeling in their heart. All roads do not lead to the same place. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus Christ is the only name by which anyone is saved. Paul knew it. We know it. And we should never, ever pass up an opportunity to let the world know it. My second point is that Paul acknowledges that God is the source of all mercy and comfort. And I would hope that, that none of us are surprised to hear that. God's desire to show his people mercy and comfort is demonstrated throughout the scriptures. In Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Lamentations 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In Isaiah 49, sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on the afflicted. In Matthew 5, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. See, God uses a variety of of methods to comfort his people. We have the power of prayer. When we pray in the mighty name of Jesus, we are granted direct access to the creator of the universe. Just think about that. Direct access to the creator of the universe. The most holy God listens to us no matter where we are and at any time. We can come before him and we can lay our burdens down just listen to what the scriptures have to say about prayer. In Philippians 4, 6, we read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. In Hebrews 4, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in help in time of need. Psalm 55, but I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He's given us the Holy Scriptures. I mean, just last week, we talked about Romans 8.28 and how reassuring it is to, to be able to read that God has everything in his control. That is just one example of the power that can be found by reading the Word of God. You know, I've already listed a few examples but here are a few more, because we are Blossom Valley Bible Church, so I'm going to give you some more Bible, if that's okay. Deuteronomy 31, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. In Joshua 1, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
Psalm 27, the Lord is the light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And in Lamentations 3, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depth of the pit, and you heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. And there are many, many more. We will never face a trial or a struggle that is going to surprise God. We know that. We talked about that very thing last week. So it, it should come as no surprise to any of us then that the Bible is able to guide us through anything that we're going through. It is the very definition of an ever-present help. God has given us the gift of worship music. You know, a very good friend of mine is fond of saying that good theology makes for good worship. You know, there's nothing like reading the words of a, of a worship song and then connecting them to the scripture that inspired them. You know, a, well, a well-written song has the ability to to draw our focus towards the Lord. When our eyes are fixed on him, the God of the universe, now the problems of this world, just they just don't seem so big anymore. I am probably a little biased, but I'm a huge believer in the healing power of music. There have been so many incredibly sweet worship times in my life. I mean, times where I felt close to God's heart I could feel his love and his care for me through the music. God has given us his amazing creation. In Psalm 8, we would read, When I look to your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And in Job 12, we read, But ask the beasts, and they will teach you, the birds of the heavens, and and they will tell you, or the bushes of the earth, they will teach you, and the fish of the sea will declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. During the very first week of the shelter-in-place order, now, you remember those, uh, you know, the good old days when all we had to worry about was a global pandemic. Anyway, I'm, uh, the very first week, and I'm out walking my dog. And like a lot of other folks, I was, uh, I was feeling a little bit anxious about things. I, how was I going to protect myself? How was I going to protect my family, especially the family members who, who are living away from me? I mean, I, how long would the quarantine last? What would become of my job? What would become of my church? All of these questions are, you know, they're running around in my head. And I just looked up at the sky and there was this beautiful moon and there were the stars shining. And I just felt a peace, a peace that came over me that did not come from me. A peace that came from the knowledge that the very same God who had placed every star in the sky, knew my name and that he was looking out for me and for my family. 
and for my church. Now, I would definitely be remiss, and in fact, I, would, I might even get some hate mail if I didn't mention a very, very special part of God's creation, and that is our pets. It might be a dog that thinks you're the greatest thing in the world. It might be a cat that thinks that they are the greatest thing in the world. Or it, it could be something a little more exotic. In whatever form they take, our pets are a comfort that's been sent to us, has been provided for us by God. There is something about having a dog rest his head on your lap or sitting on the couch and having a cat purring next to you. There's something about that that just seems to make things a little bit better. It's letting you know that you're not alone, that you are needed, and that everything in that moment, including you, is okay. God comforts us through other people as well. People will use God will use other people to bring his peace and comfort to us. You know, I am positive that all of us at some time in our life have benefited from the comfort of someone else. You know, we're, we're blessed to be part of a spiritual family, a, a body of believers who have been instructed by the word of God to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. See, God has a knack for putting people into our lives at exactly the right time with exactly the right words and actions. See, a little over 23 years ago, I was in the darkest place that I had ever been in my life. Through a, a series of really bad decisions compounded by uh, addiction, I was helpless and I was hopeless. A chance meeting which, looking back, I now know was not chance at all. But a chance meeting with an old friend would change everything. My friend could see how broken I was and understood the struggles that I, that I was having. She listened so patiently when I told her that I felt beyond God's help, that I was unworthy of God's attention. After hearing me out, she told me in no uncertain terms that I couldn't be more wrong. She told me that God had a plan for me and that what I was doing was definitely not it. Uh, she shared the gospel with me. She invited me to her church. And for the first time in a long, long time, I was able to, to feel a glimmer of hope. My life was changed forever because someone was obedient to God and brought the comfort of his light into my world. God has also given us the Holy Spirit. Listen to the words of Jesus from John 14. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, that's the way it's rendered in the ESV version. But I'd like you to hear how the King James Version renders that very same passage. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, 
whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So see, the Holy, the Holy Spirit is given some different names depending on the translation that you read. Uh, you may read that he is the helper or the advocate or the comforter or the, the counselor. Now, all of these things are true and all of them are valid. We will hear more about the Holy Spirit uh, when we get to point number four on my list. So we'll just hang tight on that for a moment. Let's move on to point three. A merciful God comforts us in all of our affliction. There's nothing that we can do or that others can do to us that will put us that will put us beyond God's care. Guilt and shame will make us believe that we're unworthy of God's attention, that we have slid too far down for him to reach us. And even if he, he could reach us, why would he want to? These are the kind of thoughts that the enemy, the devil, places in our head to keep us slaves, to keep us as slaves to sin, to ensure that we remain distant from God, looking at everything but the cross of Christ. The enemy is a liar. He's the father of lies and he could not be more wrong. Listen to what Paul has to say in Romans 8:38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can keep you away from God's love. Nothing. In 1 Timothy 1, Paul reacted to God's incredible mercy by writing this. Uh, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Now, I'm sure that we would agree that Paul being the biggest sinner of all time it is a bit of an exaggeration. But we know that Paul was using a figure of speech to say, in, in essence, uh, hey, if God can have mercy on me, he will most certainly have mercy upon you. You know, hardly a day goes by when I don't think about where I was 23 years ago and where I am today, that the God of the universe reached down into the pit that was my life at that time and, and pulled me up out of it. Even knowing everything that I have ever done, everything that I have said, everything that I have thought, he still reached down and rescued me. And here I am. You know, I get to be part of his church, and he even lets me talk. Point number four is that there's another reason. There's another reason why God comforts us. And that is so that we can comfort others, to take what we have received and share it with our brothers and sisters. You may have heard it described as the vertical to the horizontal. In other words, we take the vertical, which is what we receive from God, and we flip it 90 degrees into the horizontal to where we can share it with others. I'd like to picture you know, a stream of, of God's spirit just, Coming down, hits me, 
hits that 90-degree Holy Spirit elbow, and it gets redirected. So now I am sharing what I have received from the Lord with the people around me. See, we, we are, every, every one of us who claims Jesus as Lord and Savior, we've been called to be ministers of that gospel, to speak God's comfort and mercy to our friends, our families, and to the world at large. You see, because of that relationship that we have with God, we can offer more than just kind words and, and sympathy. We can tell somebody that, that things will be all right because we know that eventually they will be. You know, the battle has been fought and, and the good guys win. Without the hope of future glory, saying those kind of things, they don't mean anything. That's empty comfort. If we tell some, someone that, that things are going to be all right or that things are going to get better, without the hope of glory, it's an empty promise. We can offer comfort to people based on what God has done in our own lives and in the lives of other believers. You know, even if we haven't gone through a particular situation, the chances are pretty good, even in a congregation our size, that we know someone who has gone through a particular situation. We can bring people together who have shared a common affliction. And, and to hear someone tell you that they know how you feel because they themselves have gone through the very same thing, that is an incredible comfort. God will put hurting people into your life. This is no accident. You know, it's a very sad truth that for a lot of folks, pain and suffering will be their path to Jesus. We all have to be ready when that situation arises. We have to be prepared to give away what we have been given. You know, there may be times when we don't have to speak at all. I recall a story from one of my professors at, at uh, San Jose Christian, Dr. Marilyn Hargis. She was my Old Testament professor, and she shared a story with the class one day about going to visit a friend of hers who had recently lost her husband in an accident. Well, Marilyn arrived at the woman's house. It was the day of the memorial, and the house was empty except for the woman. All of the friends and the family and the children had, had left you know, to go to their respective homes. And Marilyn... And the woman went into the living room, and they were sitting on the couch. And the woman got up, went into another room, and came back with a basket of socks. And for two hours, Marilyn and her friend sat on the couch and mended socks in silence. Sometimes all that we need to be is there. Point number five is that God intends for us to comfort others regardless of their affliction. God didn't discriminate when, he, when comforting us, and we shouldn't discriminate when we're comforting others. I'm sure that you have all heard of the various 12-step recovery programs that are available to help people with their addictions. They all started back in 19... 35 with a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, or AA as it's known. 
The program was based on a very simple principle, and that is to have one alcoholic help another. Well, the program worked, and a lot of people, as a result of that, were, were saved from a very deadly addiction. So now we want to fast forward to 1953. The societal stigma on drug addiction has uh, eased up a little bit, and uh, so people could actually talk about it. So there was an organization founded to help drug addicts. Uh, they called themselves Narcotics Anonymous, or NA. Now, it was based on the 12-step principles, like AA, and it has helped millions of people. Now, you're probably wondering, okay, Jim, where are you going with all of this? What I want you to know is this. Despite the fact that both of these programs, AA and NA, were using similar methods to accomplish the same goals, and both were claiming God as their higher power, there was no fellowship between the two groups. There was a very sharp divide. <laughs> the alcoholics didn't want anything to do with the dope fiends, and the dope fiends, for their part, didn't want anything to do with the winos. Now think of all the, the missed ministry opportunities that were wasted because of prejudice and, and the lack of empathy. Fortunately, today, there are faith-based recovery programs that don't discriminate, like uh, Celebrate Recovery, for instance. And they welcome anyone, uh, regardless of, of your particular addiction. And I, and I should note, before I move on, that AA and NA, well, those guys are, are getting along a, a lot better these days than they ever have. All that to say this, God's love and comfort for us was not mitigated based on the nature of our sin. Therefore, our willingness to extend that comfort to others should not be affected by the nature of their sin. We comfort others regardless of their affliction. And then my final point is this, that we're to show mercy to those who need comforting as we have been shown mercy. This is not an easy one. Uh, we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves, but quite frankly, there, there are some neighbors that we really don't want to have. A couple of weeks ago at the meeting of the acting elder board for our church, Brad Leinbarger was asked to open us up in prayer. And one of the things that, that Brad prayed about really stuck in my head, and, and I just couldn't stop thinking about it. Brad prayed for the looters that were running wild in the streets. He prayed for the looters. He prayed that the holes in their hearts be filled with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to confess that I came into that meeting feeling anger towards the looters. I, I felt that it was senseless, and on some level, I wanted them to be punished for what they were doing. I was seeing their behavior as a criminal act that demanded justice and, and, uh, and not a symptom of a spiritual disease that needed the mercy of God. I left that meeting with an entirely different way to frame what I was seeing and, and would be seeing on, on TV for days to come. Every broken window, that was proof of a brokenness inside. 
and that desperate behavior that was on display was the desperate cry of a heart that needed Jesus. God has shown us such great, great mercy. We don't get to pick and choose who we're going to show that mercy to. The command is to love your neighbor as yourself. And it is, it is not, you know, love your neighbor unless he makes you mad about something or unless he's a Dodgers fan or unless he believes exactly the same way that I do. The world is a mess right now. After weeks of quarantine and, you know, being stuck in the house watching one crazy thing after another on the news, people are tired and sad and scared, anxious. You know, the future is not as clear as it once was. And that's bringing a whole new level of stress into everyone's life. And here we are, Blossom Valley Bible Church, stuck right in the middle of the madness with everyone else. We are precisely where God wants us to be. Having placed our hope in Jesus Christ, we have become ministers of the gospel and instruments of God's comfort and peace. This is the time for the church to shine. Remember what I said about seeking God when they're hurting the most, how people will come to Jesus through a path of pain and sorrow? God will give us opportunities to witness and we have to be ready. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I'm going to paraphrase that and say, comfort your neighbors as you have allowed yourself to be comforted. Actively seek the comfort of God. Actively seek the comfort of God. Remember the promise from the book of James that draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Pray. Pray a lot. Let God know how you're doing with all of this. Be honest and open. God is a big, big God, and he can handle it. Let him know how you feel. Pray for your families. Pray for your friends. Pray for this church. Pray for our leaders. And pray for our world. Stay in the word. You know, God will, will meet you in the scriptures. Our current situation is not a surprise to God, and he has prepared words of comfort and peace, and they are just waiting for us to find them. And when we do find them, we need to share them with somebody. Share them with your family. Share them with a neighbor. Maybe there's someone that, that you haven't talked to in a while, and you don't know that that person isn't doing so well with all of this. So you give them a call and you say, hey, I was thinking about you today, and I wanted to share something that God shared with me. At the very least, that person's going to be happy that you called them. At the best, they're going to be so encouraged by, by what you shared with them that they'll share it with somebody else. Kindness is contagious. Kindness is contagious. Try not to focus on the chaos and the turmoil. You know, the media thrives on bad news, so that's all you're going to see when you turn on the television or listen to the radio. Bad news drives the ratings up and makes them money. Now, I'm not suggesting that we put our heads in the sand and wait for everything to blow over. I, that's not what I'm suggesting at all. What I propose is that we limit our intake 
and we turn our attentions to higher things, things that are true, things that are worthy, things that are right. I urge you to, just as an experiment, instead of watching the news, go out and sit in the backyard for a while. Just sit there and be quiet. Maybe look at a tree or listen to a bird sing or a dog barking. Look up at the sky. Look up at the majesty of the heavens. And, and then think about how amazing it is that the God who created everything that you see and hear, that God knows your name. He knows your name and he wants to draw you to himself to let you know that you're safe and that you were loved. Now, in closing, I would like to read a passage from John, chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. And he, meaning Jesus, passed by, and he saw a man who had been blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not him or his parents who sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And it would seem that almost 2,000 years later, we are still asking the same question. Why is all of this happening? The answer is the same one that Jesus gave. This is happening in order that the works of God might be displayed. We have all been given a divine opportunity. The need for God's comfort and peace is so apparent but we need to be prepared. It's like the old saying goes, you know, you can't pour from an empty bucket. We all need to go to the well to let the Lord fill us with his Holy Spirit. And then, and only then, are we able to minister to others. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for being the God of all comfort. Thank you for being our refuge in these turbulent times. Lord, we ask for your spirit to be poured into our hearts, overflowing into the lives of those around us. Forgive us our sins and remove the hardness from our hearts. Let us be able to see through your eyes, to understand that your love and mercy is for everyone. Father, we continue to pray for our leaders. We pray that you give them your wisdom and your strength. We pray for your continued provision for Blossom Valley Bible Church, and we pray for opportunities to share your truth with the world. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face and, and make it shine upon you and grant you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I love you all. Be safe, be healthy, be joyful. And I will see you next week. Goodbye. Now we'd like to go into a time of communion. Here at Blossom Valley Bible Church, we take the Lord's communion every Sunday. An inherent problem that that could provide, though, is that sometimes we don't take it as meaningful as it is meant to be. And I admit, admit there are times when I am not as reverent as I should be. There, I read a, a, a nice piece this week by Dr. Charles Stanley that helped me 
to focus better on what this really means. There are two cups that deserve attention. One is described as the cup of the new covenant in Christ's blood, which is given for us. Jesus said it is for the forgiveness of sins. Christ willingly shed his blood on a cross for us that our sins would be forgiven and we may be declared righteous before God. It is also a shared cup. Jesus said, drink from it, all of you. When we gather around together in communion with each other, we're in fellowship with each other, as well as we are consecrating and recommitting our lives to Christ. The second cup is a symbol of suffering. Soon after the Passover meal, Jesus was pleading with the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will, Father. This was the cup that he had to drink alone. In this cup, not only was the physical pain of being nailed to a cross for us, it's hard to imagine, but the agony of being separated from the Father as all of our sins were being put on Him. It gives us a greater appreciation for the cup that we drink when we think about the cup that He took alone. If you need to spend some more time contemplating these things, or if you haven't had the opportunity to set aside some elements for yourself to share this morning, then you can pause this video if you wish. Reading from Matthew 26, verse 26, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Let's take this together. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to him, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my new co of the covenant, which is poured out for the many forgiveness of your sins. Let's take the cup together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you put a plan of reconciliation together for us, even from the beginning, by sending your son to die for us on a cross. And thank you, Jesus. We are grateful that you were resolute to carry that plan out to completion. Thank you for this time around this table, this intimate time with you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My